We are Grace Free Lutheran Church, and we are part of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. And there are times when people ask me, what does the free mean? And I jokingly say we don't take offerings, but we do, obviously, as you know. We are free in the sense that we are autonomous congregations, the freedom of the local church, and yet we bind together in various endeavors like schools and missions and so forth. But most of all, we want to emphasize that we are free in Jesus Christ, that he has set us free from the bondage of sin, free from fear of death, free from Satan's control in our lives. And we look this morning at one of the Psalms that speaks of freedom, Psalm 126. And the title of my message today is Free. Psalm 126, we begin reading at verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro, weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit, words for our encouragement, our instruction today. And I pray, O oh God, that you would guide us into your truth by your Spirit. We believe, O oh God, your word is everlasting truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Help us, O oh God, to build our lives upon the truth of your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story recently about a 16-year-old girl who was kidnapped and held prisoner for four months. If you wonder where she was held captive, you might be a little bit surprised to know that it was in the attic of a church, a church in Memphis, Tennessee. Four long months. And here was a place where the congregation met every week. They gathered to sing praises to the Lord and to hear His Word proclaimed, to offer one another encouragement and fellowship. And yet within that very same building, there was a terrified 16-year-old girl who needed to be rescued. And until she was discovered and released by two men on the maintenance staff of the church, she was a captive right in the church. Now, it may seem strange to think about, but there are many people around us who are captives. And sad to say, some of them are in, in the church. Some of them are there. They aren't dressed in prison garb. They don't have handcuffs on them. They're not tied behind the back, but they are captives to sin. They have been snared by the evil one. But the good news is that Jesus is able to set them free. 
And when Jesus sets us free, we experience a joy, a joy of spiritual freedom, a joy that needs to be expressed, a joy that can't help but be seen, a joy that needs to be shared with a world of people who are in bondage to sin. Our text gives us a beautiful illustration of this in the return of the captives from Babylon. And there are three lessons we learn of how good it is to be free. How good it is to be free. Notice, first of all, freedom is so good that it can't help but be expressed. You see, when the people of Judah were in Babylon... They were mocked, literally mocked by their captors. Look at Psalm 137. You get a little idea of what it was like for them. In Psalm 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing one of the songs of Zion. Sing one of those songs that you used to sing in Jerusalem, as if to mock them. In verse 4, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now we need to remember that the people of Judah experienced this mockery by the Babylonians because of their own sinful rebellion. They had no one to blame but themselves because they had rejected the warning of God's prophets over and over again that if they didn't turn from their sin, they would face judgment. And finally that judgment came. The Second Chronicles chapter 36 describes it. Listen to what it says in verse 15. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. They despised His words and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. And so the people of Judah, they couldn't blame God for this. They couldn't say, God, what are you doing to us? Why did you take us captive to Babylon? They were experiencing the consequences of their sin. They had refused to listen, and now they were experiencing the captivity in Babylon. But God was very gracious to them. And this psalm reminds us of what he did for them. After 70 years in Babylon, he moved the heart of King Cyrus to allow the people of Judah to go back to their land. And they experienced a joy that they could not keep within them. Notice how the psalm begins. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. 
The people of Judah had a God-given joy that just had to be expressed. <laughs> they could not hold it in. The freedom that God had given them. He said, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Now, what God did for them was so wonderful that it almost seemed too good to be true. In fact, if you look at verse 1, it says that we were like those who dream. Asking themselves, is this really happening? Is this just a dream or is this really happening? I'm reminded of Peter. Remember when he was in jail and the, the church was praying for him and the angel of the Lord woke him up? In Acts chapter 12, verse 9, it says he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, for he thought he was seeing a vision. How could this be true? How could it be real that I'm actually being released from prison? It almost seemed too good to be true. Ever had an experience like that? You wonder, is this really happening? Is this just a dream? Is this too good to be true? If you know Jesus, maybe you've experienced something like that. The freedom of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you've been set free, almost seems too good to be true, but it is true. It is a wonderful thing. The most wonderful freedom of all is to be free from the condemnation of our sin, to know that we are forgiven, we stand cleansed today by the blood of Jesus in the presence of a holy God. And when we come to the end of life, we don't have to worry where we'll spend eternity. We have the promise of an inheritance of heaven. And along the way, the journey along the way, we have peace, we have freedom, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And it ought to fill our hearts with laughter and our tongues with joy as we praise the Lord. I watch people at sporting games, sporting events. They are not afraid to express their joy. Have you noticed that? Some of them go nuts. Some of them go crazy. And you think, a ball game, okay? This is just a ball game. Expressing such wonderful, elated joy. What about the joy of being free? The joy of of knowing that in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. (laughs) Oh, praise God for that. Chris Tomlin puts it this way. How can I keep... From singing your praise. How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King. And it makes my heart want to sing. Huh? Do you know what that freedom's all about? Have you been set free from the bondage of sin? Freedom is so good. It can't help but be expressed. As we offer our praise, our thanks to God. Second thing we notice is freedom is so good it can't help but be noticed. When the people of Judah were taken captive to Babylon, some of the nations around them were very happy about it. Especially the people of Edom. You know who the Edomites were? The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And if you go back to when Jacob and Esau were young, you know the story of how Jacob took his birthright and his blessing. And there was a bitterness that Esau and his descendants had for hundreds of years. 
The book of Obadiah traces some of that. And it describes when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem. The Edomites loved it. Listen to the description. This book is written about the Edomites. In verse 10 it says, Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destructions. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. You see what the Edomites were doing? When the Babylonians came in to destroy Jerusalem, saying, yeah, get them, get them, nail them, nail them. And they were looting as well, getting some of the spoil of of, of Jerusalem. And then they were standing at the crossroads where the people of Judah were trying to flee and they would capture them as they were trying to get away. That's what the Edomites were doing to the people of Israel, people of Judah. So they were happy when the captivity came. So even though it was a sad day for Judah, for some of the nations around them, Like Edom, they rejoiced in it. But notice the return from captivity. This was also seen by the nations around them. And what they said about it makes it clear that they saw this as the work of God. Look at verse 2. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. What, what else could they say? To think of the fact that this group of people, this people of Judah, that had been taken captive to Babylon and had been there for 70 years, that God actually brought them back to their land. That never happens. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. Jehovah was known to be their God, and to him the other nations ascribed the emancipation of his people. They reckoned it to be no small thing which the Lord had thus done. For those who carried away the nations had never in any other instance restored a people to their ancient dwelling place. In other words, what had happened to Judah in returning from captivity had never happened to any nation before. And God was the one who got the glory. What did the nation say? The Lord has done great things for them. It was so obvious what God had done. This had never happened before. And the nations, as they observed these people going back from the captivity of Babylon, what else could they say? But God did this. God has done this. If you've been set free from the bondage of sin, it's because God did it. 
It is His glorious, wonderful work of redemption, His glorious, wonderful work of salvation that He would take you and me who are bound by sin and set us free. That's God's work. And I wonder, as people look at our lives, do they say what was said about Israel, about Judah? Do they say the Lord has done something in that man's life? The Lord has done great things for them. Is it obvious to the world around you that you have been set free? Has your life been changed in such a way that people say, God has done a work in that man's life, that woman's life? You know, some people will argue theology with you until they are blue in the face. But it's hard for people to ignore the change that comes in the lives of those who've been set free from the bondage of sin because it's so obvious. I trust that's true in your life. So freedom is so good. It can't help but be expressed. It can't help but be noticed. And then thirdly, freedom is so good. It can't help but be shared. It can't help but be shared. Seems a little strange at first. When you read verse 4, especially in light of verse 1. Because in verse 1, the psalmist tells us how the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, something that had already occurred. And then in verse 4, he asks the Lord to restore our captivity. So which is it? Had restoration already happened or did it still need to happen? Although the people of Judah had been restored to their land, that was just the beginning of their restoration. If you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, you'll know that when they came back to Jerusalem, they found the city and the temple in ruins. So the walls needed to be rebuilt. The temple needed to be restored. And so what the psalmist may be asking God to do here is to complete the restoration that had already begun. I think that that's a picture of the believer in Jesus. Have you been restored? How do we answer that? Say it. Yes. Do you still need to be restored? Yes. Isn't that true? We could liken it to justification and sanctification, right? Because justification takes place In a moment, as I put my trust in Jesus, I stand before God cleansed and pure in His sight because I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have been declared righteous by God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Have I been restored? Yes. Do I still need to be restored? You're shaking your heads. You're you're trying to tell me I'm not perfect, aren't you? Amen. Jim Rasmussen, I knew he'd say that. And my wife would too. Is there change that needs to take place in my life? Yes. And that's a process, isn't it? The process of sanctification as God is restoring me. So I have been restored and I still need to be restored. Same with the people of Judah. The Lord brought back the captive ones from Zion and yet... Lord, still restore our captivity. There was more to be done than just bringing them back to the land. Those walls and that temple needed to be rebuilt. There's another way we could understand this. 
The captivity, the return from the captivity, took place in, in several stages. Not all of the Jews came back at the same time. If you read the book of Ezra, you will find that some came back during the reign of Cyrus, Ezra chapters 1 through 3. Others followed during the reign of Darius, Ezra chapter 6. And still others during the reign of Artaxerxes, chapters 7 and 8. And so even though some had already been set free, some had already been brought back to the land, there were others that were still in Babylon. And perhaps then the, the prayer here, restore our captivity, could be viewed as an evangelistic prayer. We are asking God to set free others like we've been set free ourselves. Is that biblical? Are we to ask God to set free those who are still in bondage? We've experienced the freedom, the joy of salvation, and yet there are people around us who are not free. And there may be people in this church that are not free, truly free. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can come to church, but if you don't know Him, you've never really been set free until Jesus sets you free. And I'm sure we have people we work with, people in our neighborhood that don't know Jesus and they're in bondage. They need to be set free. And so we pray for them. Lord, set them free. Lord, change their lives. Because there are people around us who think they're free, don't they? They think they're free because I can live any way I want to live. That's freedom. That's not freedom. That's bondage. They think they're free, but they need to truly be set free. If the Son shall set you free, what did Jesus say? You shall be free indeed. We pray that there will be many set free. And the picture given in verse 4 is interesting. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Some translations say as the streams in the desert. There were very dry summers. They were followed by a rainy season. And those beds of rivers that had dried up would again flow. And that's the picture of of, of, of the freedom that comes, just like the water of God just flows. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. So we pray for souls. We pray that people we love and know would, would come to know the Lord, but that's not the end of it. Because the last two verses also speak of something we're called to do, and that is to share the Word. We are called to to plant the seed, the seed of God's Word with a deep burden for those who don't know the Lord. Look at verse 5. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. When was the last time you wept for the souls of men? Isn't it easy to just get so involved in our lives and so involved in you know, coming to church and praising the Lord that is it possible that we lose the burden for those who are lost? 
get so wrapped up in our own little world when there's a world around us that is dying without Jesus? We talk about a burden for souls. We use that terminology, don't we? God, give us a burden for souls. What is a burden? It can be a heaviness, can't it? When you care about someone who's lost, doesn't know the Lord, that's a burden for souls. It's something heavy that we carry and we moves us to pray and moves us to share with those who don't know the Lord. Sometimes it takes a while before you reap, doesn't it? Sometimes you can sow that seed, water that seed. Sometimes it takes a long time. There have been times when I've seen someone come to the Lord the first time I shared with them, and that, but that's rare. It's usually over a period of time that we sow and we water and we pray that God will bring about a harvest. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And isn't it a joy when, when someone outside of Jesus comes to know them as their Savior, when they experience the freedom that we've experienced? Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Oh, the joy of harvest. There was a dying soldier that asked a chaplain to write a letter to his former Sunday school teacher. He said, tell her that I'm a Christian because of what she taught me in Sunday school. He sent the message to this teacher and received the following reply. She said, last month I resigned my Sunday school class, for I felt that my teaching had been fruitless. And then came the message from my former pupil, may God forgive me for my impatience and lack of faith. I will ask my pastor to let me teach again. And I promise by God's grace not to quit. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. Have you experienced that freedom? The freedom of knowing Christ as your Savior, that's a freedom that needs to be expressed. That's a freedom that will be noticed by those around the world. And that is a freedom that we have the privilege to share. Oh God, help us. We who've experienced that freedom to share it. Others too may come to know the joy, the freedom of knowing Christ as our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the freedom that we have in, in You, Lord. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom, O oh God, to serve You joyfully, willingly, faithfully. Sharing that Word. Planting that seed. That others too might come to know You as their Savior. Lord, thank You for all that You've done for us. Thank You most of all that Jesus paid the price for our sin. And the joy that we know today is all because of Him. Father, bless this Word to our hearts, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.